You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Lord God, we thank you that you're not a God who's far from us. You remind us in so many ways that you desire presence with us and you invite us to continue to walk with you, be with you. And you're here with us, not just because we come to this place, which is really, it's, this is great, but you're with us because of Jesus. And because of Jesus, we also can pray to you. So Lord, for some of us, we confess we're in a place of great joy right now. We have a lot to say to you that's that's praiseworthy and it's cheerful but Lord for some of us uh, it's hard it even feels like it's been a while since we could hear you that we could feel like when we talk to you you listen wherever we're at on that Lord I pray that you would remind us that you are indeed a God with us you know what we're going through you know the hard things you know the joys and in it you are present and Lord, thank you that you, you want us. And Lord, give us hearts that want you in kind. So we love you. We thank you for your presence in this place. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Um, obviously, we, I mean, we could take the whole time of worship to do that in prayer. Maybe we will sometime. That would be cool too. But we invite you again. Come tomorrow night as we pray uh, at the church where we have an extended time to pray together. Um, man, I've been reflecting on, on just, again, what, what the Lord's doing in our church. And, man, I feel like God's spirit is really moving in, in this place. Not, not just here on Sundays, but in different pockets. It feels like the Lord is doing some really good work in, in building the community. Um, even, you know, I, I don't know what you guys feel about our music, but I feel like uh, the spirit is just like taking our music team. And they're always gifted, but there's like something like really powerful coming through and, and inviting us into the presence of God. Um, just even through this series of Romans, man, I've been really encouraged just to hear from some of you how God is speaking to you through these things. More than just head knowledge, but really uh, capturing your heart and, and inviting you to know that there's a God for you. And all that's tremendous. All to say, I love when we come together. It's been like a genuine joy to be the church in that way. But um, we're It also reminds me, though, why do we do these things? Why do we come together like this? Because it's glorious, but we have to be careful. We don't settle into this thing where this becomes like what it's all about, to be with one another without another reason. So uh, we're going to get back into Romans next week, but um, last week we had Dr. Bergina, and this week I wanted to talk a little bit different, but just to remind us a little bit of our call. So we're looking at a story from the book of Mark, one of the gospel accounts of Jesus, and this is from Mark chapter 2, and let me start with us, uh, start by saying in verse 13, Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Then passing by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. 
So if you, if you read, and go, go read it, it's all, it's all really good, it's, it's the story of Jesus, right? But if you read earlier in this chapter, we would see that Jesus, he's in this port city called Capernaum, and he's, he's a rock star, like rock star, right? Like if, if TMZ would be following him around everywhere, taking videos, wanting to know what he feels about everything, what do you feel about the new Taylor Swift album? Like it would be like everyone would follow him, he's at rock star level. So where we see him now, he's walking beside the sea. It's the Sea of Galilee. And he has this encounter with this tax collector named Levi. And this is one of the ways you know people have been in church a lot. When you hear tax collector, in your mind you hear, dun, dun, dun. It's like bad guy music. Like the tax collectors, we, sometimes we might, and we might not even know, why do we get the bad guy music with these guys? It's helpful to understand a little bit. Um, when you're traveling through the lands... When you're, especially if you're crossing different uh, city borders, um, it would be like paying a toll for the privilege of crossing through different kingdoms that are ruled by different beings. And most likely, there's different sons of King Herod who are ruling these areas. So you would pay taxes to be able to enter and walk and do commerce and different means. But the thing is, there are probably a good number of, of folk, Hebrew folk, who could remember when you could still walk the roads for free, when you were able to travel back and forth, and no one was doing things like taxes under the Roman government. So the Roman authorities, um, they would collect tax fees, and you know, that's 2,000 years ago, but all of us can still identify with the joy of being taxed, right? It's like, no one like that. No, no one's down with that. But the thing is, here's the tax collector business. Someone like Levi, he had made a bid in advance to be a middleman for the Roman government. And then he would receive the taxes, obviously pass on to the government, but he would keep a fee. And that's what he had bid for. So his own profit came from on top of whatever he would receive. So tax collectors like Levi they were considered some of the shadiest dudes around. Like, no one liked them. Um, they were lumped in with thieves and murderers. Um, you were disqualified. You couldn't be a judge. You couldn't be a witness in court because everyone considered you a liar. They considered you of, like, terrible character. So you can't be in court. Um, you were expelled from the synagogue. You're not allowed to worship with other people. We don't want you around because you're a disgrace to the family. And you, you've probably heard about lepers, people with this physical infirmity where they were considered unclean to the touch. It would be for tax collectors, you were considered in the same way if you came in contact with a tax collector as if you had touched a leper. You were considered ceremonially un unclean. Good Jews, they were actually even forbidden to receive money from a tax collector. Like say you had something going on and you put on old school GoFundMe back in first century. If someone who was a tax collector had donated, you're like, eh, sorry, I can't, this is dirty money. I'm not, I'm not allowed to take it. Because we're assume, people would assume that was like stolen money. It's, it's not clean. Here, I, I found it so funny, funny. It was actually considered okay to lie to a tax collector. You know, the, 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 the law says, you know, don't bear false witness, don't lie. But if you lie to a tax collector, that's okay because they shady. They, they bad people. So it's okay if you lie to them. The very nature of being a tax collector assumed that even, even though they were an ethnic Jew, 
it assumed that they were not a Torah. They were not a law-conscious Jew because a good law-abiding Jew would not be expected to be doing business with non-Jews, with Gentiles, which is what tax collectors were doing. All to say, um, maybe the worst part of it was tax collectors were like moles for this foreign occupation of, of the Roman government. They were making a profit off their own people. This, I mean, they were committing the very act of treason before God. So think about this scenario again, right? Jesus, rock star, right? Rock star. And in the passage we read, it's described that all the crowds are coming to him. Um, if Jesus was interested in being popular, of having a high Q score, of, of like drawing a crowd, he didn't need to do anything else. He, I mean, he, he, he already got that crowd, right? But in the midst of that, amid his popularity, amidst his platform, Jesus goes out of his way to reach out to this guy. And it's probably the last guy that his followers and, and the crowds would imagine when Jesus showed kindness to this Levi. Because we got to th- put yourself into place. It's not like when Jesus, when people are watching this interaction and Jesus goes to this tax collector, it's not like, oh, man, would you look at that? Jesus doing Jesus things. He's so good. He loves, man, Jesus is such a, um, no, I mean, this is a blow to Jesus's reputation. This is not putting Jesus in a good light. Again, I mean, just uh, ceremonially, it's putting him in contact with someone who's unclean. I mean, you, you have that. I mean, if you think about being unclean from a leper, there's a certain amount of mercy. Really, no one chooses to be a leper. Yeah, they can't come here to worship. But I mean, man, we feel bad for them. But it's like a tax collector has chosen this. They're unclean because this is what they want. They're, they're dirty people. And uh, here, I, I just find this funny. As offensive as this might have been, and maybe even leading some people to, to hate, I could imagine for the other disciples, it's like head scratching. It's like really quite confusing for them. Because they like, they've been chosen by Jesus. They all feel like they probably a little swolled up, right? Yeah, who else got chosen for Jesus? Like, um, but, but then, remember, some of them, they were fishermen. There was a good chance that as they were capturing their fish, or catching, you don't capture fish, you catch your fish, and you know, doing trade, there's a good chance that they had some of their catch had been taxed in the past. There are a good chance they know guys like Levi, and they probably don't hold him in very high esteem. This is a bad guy. And now he's like, he's one of us, Jesus? You sure this guy? Do you know him? Are you, are you sure? And you guys know, right, if you've read the scriptures, that um, this was not out of the ordinary for Jesus. This was typical of his old mission. He always made people scratch their heads. He always, and the people who liked him, they're like, yeah, I'm for, what? What did you, who you just say hi to? Who you just went to eat with? Who you, who you telling to get down from the tree? What? Like Jesus always confounding people. I kind of like him because he doesn't fit a mold. But he went out of his way to purposely reach out to to the outcasts, to the unlovable people, um, to the hopeless. Maybe another way we can say it, and people have described throughout history, is Jesus was a friend of sinners. I know that makes a real cool song, 
but it's kind of offensive, right? You can be like merciful to sinners. You can reach out to sinners. You can invite sinners to your outreach programs, but a friend? It's a little, little offensive to those kind of people who like no one else would want to have anything to do with. Jesus showed love. He extended hands of mercy, arms of grace, forgiveness, kindness. I mean, I think about it. No wonder that Jesus tells this guy, follow me. And this guy gets up right away and it seems like he follows him. Because he's probably never had anyone treat him like that, at least in a long while since being a tax collector. He's a scourge of society. And then suddenly this very powerful leader says that I want to be with you. Follow me. So, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a fan of learning whatever you think about me. I like to learn. I like to read. Reading is good. Books are wonderful. I, I, podcasts, good. And, and I think we live in a really exciting time right now, even as a, as a Christian. I mean, just to live life. I mean, if you need to fix your house, YouTube got every video on how to do it. It's a great time to live. And even for Christians, there's so much information out there. There's so many wonderful gifts and resources. You got Bible projects. I mean, you got for free someone telling you what the Bible is saying. This is unbelievable. It's, it's a wonderful time to live. And, and I think a good part of that is that we are, and I think this, this exemplifies a lot of you here, maybe even if some of our heritage as, as going to church, it was kind of like, well, you need to shut your mind down so you can go to church and be caught in the spirit. Like, don't think when you go there. That's bad. Just go, receive God, love him, love others. And, and I think maybe some of us, we, we may, if you've come out of there, you're like, no, actually, I want to learn. I want to know. I want to study as much as I can. I don't want to be like dumbing down my intellect to know this God. And it's exciting. It's exciting to have resources, read books, theology, texts. They're not just reserved for people in ministry anymore. It's, it's available for all of us. It's a wonderful time. So I am a real fan of using our minds to know God. I think that's important. And I actually think we could probably grow in that. Some of us, we maybe put down a Netflix and pick up a book. It's, it's good. But I, I do think there's a subtle danger that's present there. A, a little bit of a warning. Um, because I think in the course of using our minds to understand God, in our intellect to be able to, and I, that's good, but I think it's really easy to forget that the nature of what we're talking about here is spiritual. And again, we don't separate that from our minds. But I think if we're not careful, um, we can lose a healthy respect and desire for the supernatural. Like things that you see and you hear about and you witness and you're like, oh, uh, what the heck just happened there? I got no book that helps me explain what just went on there with that guy. What happened with her? I, yeah, my, none of my classes are helping here right now. Like, no one's going to believe that. That's ridiculous. Crazy talk. That doesn't happen in a rational, like. And, and why I particularly think about this is, and I love to have conversations with people who don't follow Jesus. So I'm always thinking about, like, like what's going to help them to know the love of God more? But I also realize some of the things that I, I know about Jesus from his stories and who he is, 
It's like you tell that to like a rational person in our society who doesn't believe in God. It's not like they're, whoa, really? That's exciting. They're like, you are, you are crazy. You believe in this like you believe Harry Potter's real. Like, you, you, you mean you seriously devote your life to this? Like, you orient your relationships, your money, your free time? Really? You not just like making other, you not just trying to make your mama happy, you actually believe in these things? It's crazy talk. Like the things that we read about Jesus, some, a lot of it, it doesn't make us go, oh yeah, that makes sense, I got it. Oh yeah, sure. Take water, still. Take bread and fish, yeah, thousands, yeah, that makes sense. It doesn't. It doesn't. I, I don't know if I'm talking like weird stuff here. Anyone, any of you ever think that? Like this stuff, it's not like rational. And, and don't get me wrong though. I think, I, I totally believe that you can study the history of Jesus found in the Bible. You can study archaeology. Um, there's external evidences from history that I, I think if you study it enough and give an intellectually honest study, I don't think it will contradict what you find in scripture. I, I absolutely believe you can learn, you can study. So there's valid historical evidence, but here's my point. Historical evidence doesn't convert someone. More archeology, span that doesn't change someone's heart. It can help, but you know what does? It's that person with the legs that have never worked in their life who's suddenly walking and no one's got an answer to it. They're like, oh, I don't know what happened there. My bio 101 is not helping me right now with that. That's not supposed to happen. Because you can argue theology, you can argue history, you can argue sources and all these things, but you can't argue the work of God. You cannot argue the supernatural power of God at work that can heal bodies, that can heal marriages, that can heal disease, that can work in ways that we just, and again, I'm not, a, I'm not anti-intellectual. Let's be more intellectual, but let's also acknowledge some of what we're asking for here doesn't make much rational sense because it reminds us we're human, we're not God. And there are some things that are beyond even our comprehension. It doesn't mean it's not real though. Because I've seen it over and over again, the power of God can move even the most hardened heart. The power of God can take a heart that you and I would look like, they're never gonna follow Jesus. And something changes. And you know how I know? Because I keep meeting them and a lot of them are sitting right here. It's amazing. I think there's a couple of lessons we can pull for that. One of that is, no, it reminds us that no one is beyond hope. And my hope here is you to be reminded that there is no one beyond hope when we look at stories like Levi and others. Because just like with Levi, God loves to transform and save what you and I think are unlovable, unreachable. That lost causes, the people you and I and your neighbors, you know the people like, oh man, they, they, nothing's ever going to come out of them. God loves those. Jesus loves that. Our God doesn't just save the kids who grew up on the right side of the tracks. He doesn't just love the kids who grew up on the right end of town with good mommies and daddies who read them their Jesus storybook Bible and pray for them every night and give them little Jesus-shaped chicken nuggets or whatever Christian families do. I don't know. 
<laughs> I just say gave someone a business idea here, didn't I? <laughs> Whenever you run with that, you give me some royalties. <laughs> but as much as I love youth groups and like ours especially, God doesn't just save kids who went to good youth groups. He doesn't just work in the hearts of those who kept themselves from certain kinds of bad activities. Because Jesus recognizes the hidden treasure of potential that's inside each one of us that maybe no one else with eyes on this earth can see. Because Jesus sees it like he saw with Levi. It also means uh, we have to be very careful not to judge things that we don't see happening with our own eyes because God is often moving in the secret area of someone's life in ways that are unseen to us. Because Levi, it seems, again, we can just go by what we have in the story. It seems that his change was totally unexpected. I mean, it doesn't seem like, and again, maybe there's another source out there that I'm not aware of. It doesn't seem to say that, you know, on the side, Levi was sitting reading his alpha materials and getting his heart ready. And he was just, he had taken steps and finally it took Jesus to light that match. It seems like this happened out in the middle of nowhere. Like a guy who wasn't seeking God, Jesus sought him and changed his life. It doesn't seem Levi was a seeker. There was no preparatory work, but all of a sudden, there is change. There is transformation. And again, this is meant to encourage you. If you follow Jesus and you love some people who don't, it can be really disheartening. It can be soul-crushing. Because sometimes they're some of your most precious people and you feel helpless. You're like, man, I wish someone would write a book that can speak right to them. Man, I wish they could. And sometimes you even hear a sermon, you're like, I, I wish they could listen to this. And, and now all that's good. But you know, in our church, we talk a lot about the journey and stages and, and we believe in that, right? There's different stages to it. Um, what I'm saying here is we gotta be really clear God doesn't need stages. Stages are helpful. God doesn't need stages. He can take you from like nothing to like fast and furious style, right? Like zero to 60 and like boom. He doesn't need stages. There doesn't have to be intro material. There doesn't gotta be like a real nice intro to Christianity. I mean, all that's really helpful. But it can just be a heart that in a moment, in ways that we're not even aware of, is just wrong. It flips because it's grabbed by grace. And something flips and something changes. Stages are great. And I hope we do that. That's good ministry. But remember that God can also move in an instant. Because again, I've seen it happen. It's happened in my life. And what this story should also teach us if we have eyes um, is that like Jesus, we ex- because we believe these things, we extend the same kind of grace and invitation to other people as Jesus did. Even people that we might not normally like in a lot of situations. The Levi's. Because when I, at least for me, and maybe I'm projecting, but when I think about people who need Jesus, my heart naturally goes to like people who are going through rough, rough stuff, maybe victims of injustice, people who've been abused, people who've been harmed. My heart naturally goes there and like, they need Jesus.
You know, maybe it's the people who are like seem to want help. Like my heart goes to them. Like, man, can someone just meet their needs? <laughs> but the heart of Jesus is obviously for people like that. But it's also for people who might even be downright offensive to a lot of us here. Maybe even, I don't know if we would say this part out loud, maybe even some people, as much as good theology we got, we would say uh, they don't really deserve the mercy of God. They're kind of getting what they deserve. They're getting what they earned. I remember many years ago, I was on, um, I was on an outreach missions project out west, and uh, part of it, a few of the men, we spent time at a juvenile um, detention center, basically a prison for young men. And I remember being there and, you know, just looking around and just, it's really awkward, right? It's awkward. You get dropped off in there and, all right, anyone got a basketball? I don't know what else we're going to do here. But I remember seeing one young man sitting at a table by himself and I went over to talk to him. And his name's Tony. I remember that still, Tony. And I remember looking at him and he was really small and he was, he was, beaten up and bloodied, and I, I, I like felt bad. I was like, hey, man, you, you okay? You getting, you getting picked on in this place? He's like, yeah, they, they don't like me in here. I'm like, all right, well, look, I'm, I'm got a little bit of a savior comp. Like, okay, let's take care of this. Who do we need to talk to? He's like, uh, yeah, no, they, they don't like guys like me in here. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, and then he explained that he was in there for having done inappropriate things with little children. This is not very pastoral of me, but I did an inner cringe. Like, okay, there got to be someone else. Maybe someone else who beat someone up. That's lovable. Let me go find them. So I I did my appropriate, oh, well, I'm going to pray for you, Tony, and went got out as quick as I could. I mean, just to be brutally straight here, I was like, I'm kind of glad he got beat up. I hope it knocked some sense into him. That was my thing. And I remember that night, we got together as a team and we're debriefing. And I remember getting to me and I was sharing about this. And I'm, I'm sure it sounded real spiritual too. I'm like, guys, this is why we're here. This is why we do ministry because there are people like Tony who are like just swimming in sin, like terrible stuff. Can you believe this stuff? This is the state of broken people. This is why we're here on missions. And man, I'm probably probably even motivated and inspired, but I remember praying later. And sometimes you feel like Shekinah glory of God just descend on you. I think I don't want to not freak any of you out, but sometimes you just feel that. That was one of those moments. It was as if I heard the voice of God saying, hmm, so you think Tony needs me more than you do? And it was like, because <laughs> if we're not careful, we start to think of certain people are a little bit more acceptable or unacceptable to God. This, I'm, I want to be really clear. This does not justify real behavior and evil. I'm not saying, well, we're all the same. No, there are grades of like harm on society. We, we need to be honest with that. But we also, and this might get you upset from some people, but this is why the gospel is called a stumbling block. Because it's so radical because saying even the most offensive people, the people that everyone thinks deserve exactly what they do. And maybe, and I, I, I agree, there's punishment that's worth, that's, I think that's okay. 
but it also means they're not beyond the grasp of God's grace. There is hope for every single person. And I think as we think about what it means to be a friend of sinners, I think we need, really need to wrestle with what does that mean? Who do we extend mercy and grace to? Because, um, you know, even as we've been going through this book of Romans, deep doctrine, I hope it's been really helpful. But think about this. To be a friend of sinners, I think that is the litmus test of whether we really believe what we're learning about in Romans. Let me say it again. To be a friend of sinners is the litmus test of whether we really believe what we're learning about in Romans. Because in Romans, we are just doing a deep dive into the grand majesty of the gospel and the mercy and grace of God and how for his enemies, Christ has extended grace and mercy. And we love it. We sing songs about it. We praise God about it. We even put ourselves in, I can't believe he loves me. But the true litmus test is, are we able to go out and love people with that same doctrine driving us that God also loves the most despicable, the hard-hearted, the far away from God, the ones who shake their fist at God, that God is still inviting mercy and grace. He invites us to be those hands and those feet going to extend that mercy and grace. Because the Christian faith isn't intended to be lived out in a classroom or in a laboratory. Some of us would love that. Just talk about these ideas all day. Isn't God great? Yes, he's great. Doesn't he forgive? Yes, he indeed forgive. And we would love to just kind of, but it's meant to be lived out among real people. Do we really believe what we're digging into in a book like Romans? Because faith flourishes on the streets where things might feel a little messy because that's where real people live. So I, I just, like, 15-second prayer. I just want to close your eyes for a second. 15 seconds. Who is one person in your life that maybe the Spirit is bringing up that you consider unreachable? You consider it doesn't matter how much you pray, nothing's going to happen to them. It doesn't matter how many kindness you show, you feel there be. Can I just invite you right now? Say, God, would you work in this person's life? Again, there's no guarantees of how God works. He's God. We're not. But maybe for our own hearts to trust that the Lord works in ways that sometimes are beyond our comprehension. 15 seconds. Just who's the spirit bringing to your heart? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's someone in school or work. Maybe it's someone on the corner. Lift them up right now to God. Say, God, I invite your mercy on their life. We have to be careful we don't make Christianity just another science. I'm not anti-science. Like I, I, I like things as science, right? But what I'm saying is we can't fully understand all the ways he works. Let's not limit or minimize the way God's power can work in our heart. Because we see that happening here in the story. Let's continue looking at verse 15. 
While, how, while he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. When the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And in these few verses, we really get a snapshot of Jesus's missional strategy. Um, He's told Levi to follow him. And if it were me, I would be like, okay, we're getting ready for a mission trip. We're getting ready for you going to be my apprentice in a discipleship class. We're going to start. The, we're going to go out and do ministry. But what happens? They throw a party. They throw a party. Some of you are like, where was this in the Bible for me growing up? No one told me about a party when I was growing up, right? And, and invite everyone you know, Levi. And if we notice from those who are there, it's not just the religious people who want to be with this very spiritual guy, Jesus, but yo, Levi, invite all your crazy friends. Invite all the people. We know who we're talking, right? Invite them. Tell them that this Jesus wants to hang out with you. Those people, think about the people who will never come to synagogue. It doesn't matter how good the speaker is. They're never coming. Don't matter how good the praise team is. They're not coming. But they want a party, so we're going to have a party. Invite them. And reclining. I, I love that word reclining here. And significant, some English translations, they don't have that from the original Greek. But it's, it's significant because seeing you're not, he's not just there to make an appearance. Jesus is not just coming by doing a drive-by politician thing. Snap my picture. Uh, he, he's reclining. He's there for a while. He's spending time. And notice here as well, there, there's a noticeable lack or absence of the message of repentance at this party. It doesn't mean that wasn't there, but at least from what we have described in the story here. And, and it doesn't seem that Jesus is eating with these sinners on the condition that they change their lives. And, and like Levi say, I'm going to follow you now. Rather, he's reclining. He's eating with them because they don't follow him and because they haven't experienced him, he's choosing to spend time with them and eat and break bread with them. The scandal of the story is that Jesus, he doesn't seem to make moral repentance a precondition of his love and acceptance. He's not saying, okay, I'm going to love all you fools if you just confess that I'm Lord and and Savior and you repent of your sin. Rather, Jesus loves and accepts tax collectors and other sinners right where they are. Right where they are at in their life. He goes to them. He breaks bread with them. He shares his presence with them. And it's a reminder for us that as relationally designed people, growth and change happens through the presence of others. And because for all of us, if you're, if you're in Christ, that's happened to you in that way. And again, I'm not bashing doctrine. Most of us, you have not been transformed because you had a really good class of doctrine. Some of us, it's been a part of it, but what's happened? There is this Jesus, the very son of God who entered your life. No, he knew you. He made you his own. You, like we've been talking about Romans, you are in him. It's relational. He has shared his presence with you. It's not bashing good orthodox belief. It's really important to have right information, good news. 
But what I'm saying is we can overestimate the transformative effect of just more knowledge. We can like overinflate just having more information, more podcasts, more books, more sermons. That's all fine. But Jesus primarily transforms people through the sharing of his presence with them. And we see that all throughout the stories in the gospels. And Jesus gave some sermons. He gave some lectures. But there was a whole lot of just hanging out with folks, being with them, walking with them, eating with them, laughing with them, mourning with them, having their kids sit on his lap. Because Jesus transformed these first followers' lives through the real presence of his life among theirs. And we see that here with Levi. And here's the thing that always just... He didn't just share how people would experience life. He shared his very own life with them. He didn't just share with them, here's the way you can experience life. Here's the seven steps to a better you. He actually gave himself, shared his life, shared his time, shared his space. Because Christ's method of transformation is very visceral. And he calls us to the same approach as we share him with others. You know, um, there's a verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. It says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. It's this idea that we all make up the very body of Jesus and he's the head. I, I love that imagery because what it's saying is, especially when I talk to people, and they, one of the things people often say is, if they don't know him, it's like, I, I just can't see Jesus. How do you follow someone you can't see? And I'm like, I don't see him either. They're like, seriously? You know, people think that, I guess, because I'm a pastor, I see, I'm like, no, I'm, on, I'm not on that level. I don't see him with my eyes. But what I love is this imagery of hands and feet that we put flesh on Christ's message that even if you can't physically see him, may you experience the real Jesus through his hands and his feet, being with you, walking among you, loving you, breaking bread together. May you experience the very presence, the very real presence of Christ through his body. Guys, Don't underestimate the power of presence. It's the power of inviting people to share your dinner table. I know you all think I'm funny when I'm talking about the spiritual power of food, but it is real. I'm going to write a book on it one day, right? It is so real. I mean, we put so much importance in these things. I love love worship. I love this. I mean, I probably love it too much, right? My endorphins go through the roof. But guys, we overinflate this at the expense of those meals around our tables. Like that is often the place where just as much spiritual power is present because the presence of Christ is being shared with others, especially those who might not be in this room. Because your table might be a much safer place for a lot of people than coming into this church building, as beautiful as it is, and as warm and kind as you are. And, and for some of us, I, I hope that's like freeing, because when we think about being on mission or evangelism, sometimes we're like, yo, Holmes, don't you know I already got so much in my life to do? Are you seriously going to give me another event? And sometimes missions involves events. I think that's real. But so much of missional life is just doing what you would already be doing and just invite other people to join you there. So I'm like, if you have family here and you're like, yo, I got these kids and they take up so much of my time. I'm like, do they eat? I guess. Well, invite other people to join you and eat with you. Come to your table. 
Invite your neighbors to come in. You don't always have to create an extra event to be missionally present for God. And notice, I love this story because Jesus is there with his followers as well as these sinners. It's like Levi got all his homies have come and they are a particular lot of people, right? But then Jesus is coming with his disciples. So it wasn't Jesus saying, okay, guys, I'm going to do some ministry now, ministry and party it up for a few hours. You go pray for me. He's like, nah, y'all coming with me. You coming with me. You're going to observe, but you're also going to be there too. Eat something, drink something, have fun, be with these people. And it's such a beautiful picture of what mission looks like as a church. Like as you love your neighbors, as you love people around you that maybe don't know Jesus, hang out with them, spend time with them, carve it out, have dinner, go to Starbucks, whatever you need to do, but also invite some other people from your spiritual community to be there with you. And and let people mingle, let people get to know, let's break down some of the stereotypes people have of Christians that we're all a bunch of like weird alien type of people. Like we all, I mean, we strange, but it's a beautiful strange But man, one of the things I I loved, like when, I don't know if we still do it, but we used to have a lot of people do the quiz nights, like go to some of the local pubs and and places, do quiz nights. What I loved about it, and and I know that no one invited me because you know either I'm going to tank it or I'm going to win all day, but it's all right. But what I loved about it was these, just the stories I heard of like the, of all the village people who would be there doing it together and having fun, but how many non-village people would be there as well, just friends of friends coming together. Who don't like quiz night? Who don't like quiz night, right? And just coming together and creating space. Guys, missions is events and programs. That's part of it. But it's also just living life with intention and with purpose and inviting other people in to do what you would already do. So what's our mission strategy as we look at Baltimore? Throw a party. Some of you are like, where was this all my life? Could have saved me from fundamentalism. (laughs) Sorry, we got to edit that out later, right? Throw a party. I mean, don't break any laws, but throw a party. Have lots of fun. Invite your friends. Invite people from church. Share your life. Intentionally invest in those circles that God has placed you in, trusting that God is at work in the hearts of people, even if you can't see it. Because there are no accidents or coincidences. I, I, you know, I, I, I wonder, my brain's a little off, so sometimes I'm like, God, there's, there'd be a better way to let people know about you. Like, if you just sent, like, a random, like, group me right now to everyone, like, everyone in the world at one time, 8 billion people, all got the same text message, it is God, I am very real, bow down now. I'm like, God, that would be so effective. Like, do, do and put, a, put an emoji in there, like a little, like that, you know, it, everyone would believe God. But his plan has always been to use his people as limited, as broken, as struggling as we are. He's used his people, his church, to tell people how much he loves them. That this Jesus, he shares his presence with those who are far from him. He wants to break bread with them. And you know who's his message for that? You and me. And it starts with us. That's why we do the table here. We remember the one who breaks bread with us. 
Remember the one who desires to be with us, maybe when you don't want to be with him, and maybe you feel like sometimes you don't give him a reason to want to be with you. Every week we do this to be reminded, look at the one who's with you, not just when you're in church and looking all pretty for an hour and a half, but when you're in all of the rest of life, this is the God who's with you. And look at what you have to share. Man, that is so much more of a joyful, hopeful endeavor than, uh, I don't know, I'm going to share this little pamphlet with this uh, guy. Do I just leave it in the bathroom and no one will know it's me? And hopefully to pick it up and God's sovereignty will make it like, share your life. Share your life. Share your tables. Stand with me right now. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. And we're going to do that right now. You know, part of so I started all this by saying, I love what we do here. I love this. This is like a highlight for me. But guys, this is not the end goal. We do this here to equip us, to encourage us, to bless us, to heal us, to send us back out into places where we spend most of our life anyway. And to be present and to love and to have eyes wide open. But we don't do that just because out of our own strength or compulsion, we dine with the king and he reminds us who has shared his presence with us and now gives us something to share with those around us. So we're going to sing. And during this first song, I'm going to invite you, if you follow Jesus, come down the middle aisles, grab one of these uh, elements that, that symbolize the body and blood of Christ. And we're going to take it all together after the first song. But maybe you can pause for a moment before coming down right away and say, Jesus, remind me that you gave your life for me and you've given me something to share. And if you're not a Christian, maybe today you could be in marvel that there is a one who looks at you and he wants to sit at the table with you. He wants to sit for a while, recline. He's not just making an appearance. He wants to be with you. He loves you. Choose to sit with him. Choose to recline with him. Choose to say, I want to be in your family. And maybe today, this can be your first communion, saying, I follow and trust this Jesus. So let me pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for reminding us, Lord, that you are with us, but it's not an ethereal with us, Lord. It's on the ground, in the mud. Close with us, across the table with us, Lord. And I pray that we would just sit deeply in that, be reminded of how you sit with us, but Lord, that you're also inviting us as we do that to be sent out to sit with others, share our presence, knowing that you're in the hearts, you're, you're at work in the hearts of others, and even in ways that we don't know, like Levi. And we would just be present, Lord, to share our life. So help our church, Lord, to love what we do here, but Lord, remember also why we do a lot of this for you, but also to love our city and our world. So thank you, Lord. So let's sing, pray, and then as you feel you can, you can come receive an elements, and let's take it out together after the first song.